What up, guys? I am a massive coffee drinker. I absolutely love Caveman Coffee. I've been drinking Caveman Coffee for a long time. Uh, they make an enormous amount of different products in the coffee arena. They make this unbelievable nitro cold, cold brew that I am addicted to, actually. Um, and they also make a bunch of whole bean coffee. They make this amazing cacao butter. But I am a massive fan of their Nitro Cold Brew. It gets delivered directly to my door. And you can have the same exact thing. Go to cavemancoffee.com. That is cavemancoffee.com. Use the promo code BORN20. That's B-O-R-N, the number 20 at checkout for 20% off the best coffee on the planet, cavemancoffee.com is the bomb. What's going on, podcast listeners? My name is Michael Chernow. I am a restaurateur and lifestyle entrepreneur, and I am truly obsessed with living a life better than yesterday through wellness, fitness, and good vibes. I've always wondered if the drive to succeed is something we are born with or if it's something that is made over time through grit, drive, and perseverance. I get to answer that question exactly and the goal of this podcast is to talk with people that have absolutely crushed it in life and have inspired me to do the same. This is Born or Made. Today's guest is a coffee expert. His name is Adam Bossy. He is the CEO and co-founder of Aficionado Coffee. Adam has a long story of entrepreneurialism. Coffee was not his first uh, venture, and he really dives into his story with us today, but really gives us a real breakdown on his passion for coffee. And I think everybody listening to this podcast, or at least a majority of you, do drink coffee, so it's pretty cool to have a guy that is so deeply involved in the world of coffee and doing it the right way. Ladies and gents, boys and girls, people of all ages, welcome Adam Boss. Michael, thank you for having me. How's it going? I am so well, man. I'm so excited that you're here with us. Uh, and and what I'd like you to do is is sort of give us a walk through. First, introduce yourself and really tell us who you are probably better than than I did. And then and then let's 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 get your story, man. Let's go all the way back for uh, for, for as long as you can uh, remember. And let's let's try to figure out uh, if you were born or made. Sure, absolutely. So uh, my current life where I'm at, uh, I started aficionado in 2008. And, um, you know, I had left my career in finance and, and really didn't have any structure or game plan to what I was doing. So I took some time, I was doing some consulting work. And I started roasting coffee uh, on my mother's barbecue grill, we fabricated it out of some steel with my business partner, Paul Mercies. And we started selling coffee at farmers markets and absolutely no business model whatsoever. We didn't know if we wanted to sell D to C at that time or wholesale. We didn't even know what wholesale looked like at that moment. Can I stop you for a second, though? Can you just tell us how do you roast coffee on a barbecue? Yeah. So basic. My mother a few years prior had uh, her floors done, and so we had this like nice terracotta tile, almost like a pizza stone. And so we laced this, lined the side of the the grill with that. And then we made a, we took a sunbeam turkey rotisserie, right? From like Home Depot. And then we structured this, we fastened this cylinder to it and we were roasting coffee. And it's funny, like years after we found the bag stash, like up in our storage and we 
ripped it open and had it and it was it was disgusting but you know so like these like trial and errors and people are always like how do you how did you get to this point and i still struggle till this day you know there's there's no we don't have a business model to reflect back to of how we got to where we are what our purpose was anything like that and so from these farmers markets we started picking up local chefs and then one of the chefs that some look upon us was chef david burke uh who is also uh, a middletown or hazlitt new jersey guy and you know he really took us under his wing and you know at the time he had david burke and donatella and we really started to have a, t- a lot of exposure in the city. And, you know, we learned very early on, we never focused any money towards marketing until about two, three years ago. So we were able to make a lot of mistakes under the radar. And, you know, we actually hit a point where La Cologne was really the only player in New York City at that time. It was either Illy or La Cologne, which just started hitting their stride. And we, they gave us a pretty hard hit where they're like, easy there, fellow, like little kid on the block. And so we, took that. And that's when we went from just roasting coffee, like so many companies do because they love coffee to really trying to figure out what our purpose was. And, you know, we've never taken on venture cap money. We never took any seed money from day one. It was always our money. I think my mother maybe threw like 15, 20 grand at us once, you know, but outside of like small notes, like we never, we never had a corporate structure. We never started. It's funny. My friends that come out of Columbia Business School today, they'll be like, I'm like, well, what are you working on? Where, where are you going to go work? And they're like, well, I have to think of a business plan. And then I got to work it back if it's feasible. I don't even know what that means. Like, I don't, I would never come up with a concept and walk it back. I'm going to do something that I love and personally connect with. And, you know, you and I have spoken previously about properties and, you know, different lifestyle retreats and stuff of that nature. It's something that I would love. And so I never took a business model and said, okay, I can make money doing this. Let's work it back. I always thought, you know, part of my French, they'll saying, you know, if you shovel shit good, you can, you can make money doing it. And so for me, um, coffee was never really about coffee. I mean, I grew up, you know, an Italian household, French, uh, Italian French family. And, um, you know, the focal points of everyday life was you start your day with coffee. And so it was something that I always remember as being memorable. And it was, I don't know what had happened. Like it just somehow subconsciously, it segued me to the things that I really loved or would learn to love, which is traveling, community outreach, uh, and agriculture. I grew up gardening with my father. Like I was not the typical kid growing up. Um, I never, I realized at a very young age that I didn't connect with the normal uh, the normal household family where, you know, the parents like, you're going to go to school and become a lawyer or a doctor. Like my mother was always an entrepreneur. She didn't necessarily, uh, know how to articulate Adam, how you're going to do it. But she's like, you're going to go to fucking college and you're going to figure it out. I think the turning point for me was when I just started to get into like the normal, let's call it normal society where like, yeah, hang out with your bros and like you're doing college life. And I thought maybe, you know what, I transferred into school a year late because my father had passed away. And so I thought, you know what, maybe a good way of meeting people was joining the fraternity. And so I went through the whole pledge process and everybody's like, you have fucking great ideas. Like people were like, you know, we need, we lived in this Victorian mansion that was dilapidated, need a ton of work. And they kept on going through like all these plugs of like how to raise money. I'm like, no, fuck it. We're selling jelly shots. And like, we crushed it. Like party after party what was the what was the first thing you you've you sold in your life do you remember yeah first thing i sold was so i went to this catholic uh 
parochial school and we had a carnival in July. And like, I wanted to emulate like the carnival games. And so I used to do it in my basement. I used to invite all the kids over from the development and take their quarters. And so like, I experienced what flip cup was before I knew what flip cup was, you know, like how, how old were you, man? I was like seven years old. What do you think it is? Like what, what, what at seven years old, you were, you were, you know, sort of simulating the carnival game experience in your basement. Like, do you, can you recall, did anybody tell you to do that? Was it, what was the, what was the calling to do that? No, I think, I think at a very young age, um, when you talk about self-starters or entrepreneurs, I think parents do pet at a young age play a very important role. And I think it's a support role. I think, you know, a parent needs to trust their kids. And, you know, if you're talking about entrepreneurs at a very young age, and for me, it was instilled into me, we won't get to your born or made point just yet. But um, I think you know where I'm going with this. You know, it's I had a lot of trust and support from my family at a very young age. And that allowed me to go out and feel okay with with loss or, you know, failure. So I'm assuming that you were successful at whatever you put your mind to. I mean, and, and I don't mean like you didn't fail. But I mean, like, successful like you kept on doing it you didn't well i think yeah i think i think the thing for me was there was the support there but there was the back mindset that failure was not an option like my my mother would give me that look that she's like you're you're gonna figure it out and like in my heart i'm like i can't fucking fail you know and so you know whether it was the lemonade stand when I was younger, I tried that a few times i think i also emulated a lot of things that my brother did my brother and i have a 10-year age gap but I remember my brother was always hustling, you know, like till this day, he's way more of a hustler than I am. Super successful. There's things he does that I, I, it's just not in me. I, I, like I don't, look, he goes for the, uh, like he wants to kill, like he wants the he's a pot killer. of gold at the end of it. He's a killer. And I mean, so am I, but like me, like I'd rather say, you know, this is going to make me really happy for the next five years, as long as there's a little bit of a pot at the end of it. And I think it's, it's like you just said, you know, there's different ways of going about it. And I, my perspective is, is if you do something that you're really happy and you don't, you just keep your head straight, like don't pay attention to what everybody else is doing. You're going to make money at the end of the day doing it. And maybe not as much if you're as strategic with it, but fuck, it's been a lot of fun. And that's always been my perspective. I want very low stress in my life. And like when I am stressed, I mean, there's always stress when you're an entrepreneur, but like when it gets to an elevated point, it, it, it takes the fun out of it and, and it eats at my success rate. So more with my guest in just a minute. 10,000 is a men's fitness apparel brand. I only use 10,000 when I train. They make the best stuff on the market. The beauty of 10,000 is that you can customize everything. The color, the inseam, the liner, everything is done with the highest quality available. They offer free delivery, free returns. They stand behind their product 100%. I love the fact that they have the best anti-odor property in the game. I am telling you that I wear 10,000 shorts and tops all the time when I'm training and even when I'm not training and this stuff never ever smells. It never ever breaks down. It's really good looking stuff. The material is absolutely incredible. I highly recommend 10,000. There is a 100% money back guarantee on this stuff. So if you don't like it, 
boom, send it back and you get your money back. Go over to 10,000.cc. That's T E N T H O U S A N D dot C C. Use promo code BORN20 at checkout. That's B O R N, the number 20 at checkout for 20% off your first order. 10,000 is the bomb. Great segue into a question that I have for you. So you're a co-founder. Sure. And, uh, you know, I too am a co-founder in, in, in the meatball shop and in another business called Well Well. Um, let's talk about that happiness component, that level of happiness uh, and partnership. Because I think partnership is probably one of the most, if not the most, challenging components of business. From my experience. Everybody's experience. Uh, Sure. So, you know, I had this idea. And at the time when I started the coffee company, um, I had two friends that were coming out of school. One that had uh, just lost his father. Uh, So we shared a lot of similarities in conversations. And, um, you know, I knew for one thing, my business partner today, Paul, one one partner's no longer with us. He left us a year into the the game. Uh, But Paul was someone that I trusted just as much as I trust my family. And so for us, you know, business partnerships are marriages, right? And you really need to, it's, I think it's important to not have two identical people because then you're just going head to head with each other. In my situation with Paul, Paul was very much comfortable being a back in the backseat, you know, taking care of things when I was traveling, building the vision for the company and just keeping things status quo. And so we complement each other really well. And you know, he's always that person that's there that I can call on. And um, he trusts me and I trust him. And I think ultimately that is the most important thing and probably the hardest thing. Real quick. So are you, uh, 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 you are the CEO of the company. Have you always been the CEO? Uh, I am the CEO and majority stakeholder. Yes. But, but from the beginning you were the CEO. Correct. What, um, what kind of advice uh, can you give in in the realm of uh because it sounds like you have a happy successful partnership um what kind of advice would you give for those out there that are either struggling in partnership or are looking to launch with specifically a friend because that makes it real tough um and i'm sure there's things that you're not telling us but um no so i listen i for good or for for better or for worse, I've always been an open book, and um, like I said, I have a great relationship with my business partner. So I'll tell you one of the one of the backdrop stories and segueing into how we built our identity behind our company. Um, you know, so we started out as a coffee company, just like everybody else, um, but we didn't know like what made us different. We knew what other successful company coffee companies started out there and what they were doing, and you know, we always had. I think this happens at any organization. You know, when you're starting out, like we can't, you'll have employees that will say, we can't do this because we don't have this or we don't have the resources or, you know, for whatever reason. So I set out rather than copy people to really travel and see the world, which I've always loved doing since I was in college and really figure out, you know, what the brand identity was going to be. And in the beginning, after my relationship ended, when I started traveling, I know firsthand that within my organization, there were internal struggles. And those internal struggles were, hey, where is the CEO of ours like traveling? Like he communicates, but 
there comes a point where you start calling bullshit because you don't see things come to fruition. So it's like, I'm saying like, Hey guys, I'm doing this, this, and this, but from the time you actually pull the trigger to make things happen and come to fruition, it might be a little bit of a delay. So there was like two, three years when I was really brainstorming, like, what is aficionado? What is our purpose? You know, what are we going after? We've never been one to like follow the trends. You know, you're drinking our cold brew, but our guys, our team would yell at me saying like, Adam, we're missing out on so much money. And I'm like, you know what? Let's pump the brakes. Let everybody rush to market. And then we'll come in with a really good fucking product when Whole Foods has a ton of shit on the shelves and we're going to crush it because they're going to want to clean up and they're going to want five good products on their shelves. And that's exactly what we did. And through my travels through Africa and South America, rather than, you know, putting up uh, a report of paper with like who the farmer's name is and then me writing my signature and having the farmer write his signature, like companies that I won't mention do. There's no proving that. So I'm like, we're going to fucking video record everything. So I spend money on video recording equipment. Hey, why are we spending money on drones and stuff like this? This is frivolous. You need to be confident in your decision. And you, I do have uh, a duty to my business partner to um, produce and to convey and communicate clearly. Sometimes that communication doesn't come on the other end the way that they want it delivered necessarily. But as long as you follow through and you're committed to it, communication is the most important thing. And if, if, if there's anything I could say, you can't beat it in enough. You can't have the same conversation sometimes in the beginning until that trust is there uh, enough. And that's, I think that's what really solidified it. So that went on for like two to three years. And now it's like, you know, we're so ahead of the curve compared to the mid-sized roasters in the New York market that we don't follow anybody. And everything that we're doing is we're, we're, we're first at hand at doing it. So, um, that respect and trust is there and it's my duty now to keep it going. What is the purpose now? What is the purpose of aficionado? Yeah. So our purpose has been kind of, um, has been to be the kind of the outlier in the coffee industry. We call bullshit where the whistleblower, there's a lot of coffee companies out there. You know, we started our company. I went to school in Philadelphia. I remember Lachlan from its early days. We didn't jump on the coffee bandwagon. You know, we were, we were at the start, you know, just after Stumptown and those guys. So we were before the curve. And our purpose today is really just to tell the story of the farms and tie it to ongoing evolution and sustainability. Now, people are like, all right, I've heard sustainability a million times. What does it mean? You know, people brush strokes things. They call things organic, sustainable. For us, you know, we will never say we pay $2.50, $3 a pound for a coffee, and that's a 50 cent premium over what the next farmer, and not know what that 50 cents, that dollar contribution went to. So we've built strategic partnerships with each one of our origins. First off, we buy from the same farms every single year. We buy from them exclusively. We don't rotate with other roasters. So we don't, you'll never Google one of our farm names and seeing at another roaster. Um, and if, you know, our perfect example is our farm in Peru. You know, Peter Terso, who's my head of research and development, he said it best on our last trip to Peru last year. We've been working with the native Quechua Indians there for five years. And we have on our Google uh, share file, we have a folder of each year photos. And you see these natives. And the first year, there's no smile. They don't, they've never smiled a day in their lives. And then the second year, like maybe they'll like make eye contact with you. And then the third year, there's like a little break of a smile. And the fifth year, it's like they, they love seeing you and they welcome you in and they give you, it's like going to your grandmother's house and she pulls out all the best china and whatnot. And so like 
it's amazing. And like, you know, they all of a sudden they, they call all the villagers up and it's like a, it's a huge festival for the time that you're there. And so I can put this on paper, but the best way to convey it is through video. And so like our last time up there, we went with our counterpart, Jan Bernhardt, who's the largest uh, organic banana producer in, in the world. And he's the one that built the inroads there for us and was our original translator. And, um, we have a video of us negotiating our contracts with them for five years. So like, there's, there's no bullshit on it. It is like, it's there and he's conveying the message to them and interpreting. And so there is full transparency in what we pay for pounds. There's full transparency in what our export export costs are. There's full transparency in the extra money we reserve aside to give to that community. And we talk about what we do with it. So I never want to talk poorer about, any of our any of our relationship farmers but the reality is is that there is a lack of education there so like if you give someone money that doesn't know what to do with it they're going to do what they think is good with it so in the case of the of our of our quechuas uh they would buy sugar or corn nothing of nutritional value so we sent dietitians up there we provide irrigation to their coffee trees for the regions that don't get good irrigation all these different things that we build out by walking the farm each year and really being hands-on. Not like these other roasters go down on a class trip with 30 other roasters and they're like, you know, the importers like to the farmer only put these three coffees on the table because that's what I bought from you. You know, so it's a whole nother process in what we do. And for me, you know, people always ask me, you know, when you travel, do you, is it pleasure or is it for work? And it's both, you know, I, I love it. You know, if I'm in Peru, I go to the farm, I love it and go to Machu Picchu. If I'm in, Africa, I do a few days on the safari and I do a few days on my farm. And it's, it's full circle, everything that I wanted in life. I always wanted off the beaten path. You know, I wanted to, I hate when, when I was in finance, everybody wore a Rolex, everybody had a Range Rover, everybody had a house in the Hamptons, all great stuff. But like, to me, it was just kind of like, you're just on autopilot. And for me, like being in dangerous situations, sometimes like the fucking rush, like that you get when you're crossing borders. It's insane. Dude, I got to go with you, man. I've got, it, sound, it sounds like such a fun trip. More with my guest in just a minute. Athletic Greens is one of the only things that I have been using for about seven years straight. Athletic Greens is the first thing that I put into my body every single morning. I start my day with Athletic Greens. It is a Greens Superfoods powder that I absolutely love. It tastes incredibly good compared to the rest of the stuff on the market. It's filled with 75 vitamins and minerals, prebiotics, probiotics. The stuff is the bomb. I add a little bit of ice to it, a little bit of coconut milk, blend it up, drink it down on an empty stomach, and my oh my is my nutritional wellness insurance taken care of. Go over to athleticgreens.com forward slash born. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash born for 20 free travel packs with your first order. I highly recommend Athletic Greens. I've been doing it for a long time and so should you. I have a few questions because I, you know, I think a lot of people, well, I know a lot of people drink coffee. I mean, I don't know what the percentage is, but there's probably a, a you probably know how what percentage of human beings on the planet that have access to it drink coffee on a daily basis. Um, just drink coffee. 
and see see things like light roast, medium roast, dark roast, single origin, things like that, but have no idea what they mean. Sure. So I just have a couple of like coffee specific questions just to give the people listening maybe a little education. What does single origin mean? So single origin is just uh, from one particular country. So origin would be Guatemala or Costa Rica. Uh, if you're in Africa, Kenya, Ethiopia, Honduras, I'm sorry, Burundi. Um, so it's just, it's, it's a country of origin. So single origin means that the beans themselves are coming from a single uh, region. A single country. Single country. Okay, got it. And light roast compared to medium roast and dark yeah, roast. Yeah, I mean, I was hoping that we would get beyond that in our industry at this point. I mean, it, it goes like this. We take every single coffee when we get it. We roast it probably 20, 30 different ways. And we see what flavors are exhibited at which profile. And we pick which profile exudes the best or exhibits the best flavor profile for our needs. And so um, I, I'm, I don't think... In today's era, if you're dealing with really good coffee, there is some truth to where dark roast coffee does destroy a coffee's co flavor compounds. But there are some coffees that are really nice in a in a medium medium dark profile. Like our Peru, our our cold brew is very different from a lot of the cold brews out there. It has sort of this like meaty, smoky characteristic to it, but it's still clean. And you know, we we made a firm decision to go on that with that direction for that cold brew because it tastes awesome. So typically I would say most coffees fall between like our coffee, our coffees between like a, a darker light roast and a medium roast. Um, what, but what, how, like, what is the difference between light, medium yes, and dark in terms of just like the, yeah. Basics? so basically sugar is uh, coffee is sugar, right? So there's your you think about when you're making caramel, right? You cook the sugar down the white sugar down and as you get it more, as the caramelization starts to happen, as the sugars burn, break down, uh, you start to get this more dimensional sweetness, and then that sweetness becomes charred, right? So if you can imagine, you know, the level of darkness and caramel, like you can get to a level where the caramelization really has taken place, but it's really nice and complex, and it's rounded. So when you start roasting coffee, uh, and it's in its green form, you get to this level where the sugars just start to caramelize, but there might be underdevelopment. And the underdevelopment might be in the, in the form of like a grassiness or an unwanted characteristic, an underdeveloped flavor. Uh, and also the acidity level might be so high that it is undesirable. So at Aficionado, we really go for sweetness. Like that's always our coffees. We like to let our coffees have expression of their own, uh, but sweetness is really our our most important thing and that's typically falls on a medium so, roast. And medium, medium to dark roast. Got it. And there, there's also, you know, this, whether it's a myth or not, uh, I don't know cause I'm actually not in the coffee business, but the lighter the roast, the more caffeine and the darker the roast, the left cast. Correct. You cook out the caffeine, uh, the darker you go. So correction, we Got don't it. tether to the darker side. When, when I say medium, darker roast, our, our, in retrospect, our coffees are still pretty light in the industry. You know, I'll use a company that I've actually uh, really appreciated over the years, Intelligentsia. Um, they've always had a very light profile, and their coffees have always been really nice. Um, but for us, we, we didn't come into this game 
from the standpoint of we're coffee shop operators. We went into it from a wholesale perspective, right? So we were selling to restaurants. We needed one coffee. Like think about when you go to a restaurant. It's like, here's 50 bottles of wine or 100 bottles of wine to pick from, right? You have options. Coffee, you don't. And so I won't name it, but there's a, there's a, a hotel very well known in, in uh, Flatiron that works with one of our competitors. And for years, I mean, they, they no longer do, but for years they would get complaints because international um, guests want a product that, you know, strikes the masses. And for them, you know, these high acidity coffees don't work. So for us, we've always, because of our wholesale network, we've always went towards just a well-rounded, well-balanced coffee that would appease uh, the mass population. There's lots of places on the planet that grow coffee. Uh, is, there a, is there a place that you have just become, have fallen in love with, believe they do the best job, believe that the climate and the, the terroir is just beyond sort of its, its, its competitive region? Yeah, so I mean, you're getting more traction, more and more traction in Bolivia. I love Bolivia for so many different reasons. It's, if you think of like Machu Picchu now versus what it probably was like back in the 60s when from a tourism perspective, like you still go into the, the city of La Paz and there's no Americans there. It's very, it's very raw. And the, the mountainside in the growing region, it's, it's untapped soil. It's just, it's insane. Like I've never seen soil so black in my life. And so from that point, um, everything is just like really amazing there. The terroir is amazing. It's, it is like you're in the rainforest, like it's the jungle. Um, that being said, um, pre-COVID, our game plan for aficionado was really to build inroads in Indonesia and also in uh, further exploration in Africa. I have a great working relationship for six years now in Ethiopia. Farm is ours exclusively. Um, as a country, like the people in Ethiopia are the most beautiful people. How a country half are Catholic, half are Muslim, but they live harmoniously together is, is the most beautiful thing. When we live in America with so many resources and so many good things, and we're always at each other's throats, it's just like it's baffling how people there have it so simple, but. It's a beautiful life. And so I've taken so much, I reflected so much in my time in Ethiopia. And uh, so I, I really love Africa. Eastern Africa is a beautiful place. I've got to ask you a controversial question. Go for it. Give me your give me your thoughts on Starbucks. Yeah. Um, I don't know how anybody could put them down. I mean, like I said, it it's they're an amazing company. I mean, they, they had a mission and they set out to do it. And I think that, you know, you look at companies like La Colombe and they're our biggest competitor, you know, they're way bigger than us, but they've, they had a mission, they achieved it and they did a really good job with what they have. Do I think their product is good? No. I mean, their cold brew is like a protein shake with a, you know, eyedropper coffee in it, but you know, is the packaging beautiful? Have they done an amazing job marketing? Absolutely. Uh, could anyone do it? Absolutely not. They, they had a knack. I mean, Todd Carmichael is fashion crazy, but he's a really smart guy. And like he, he had a mission and he achieved his mission. And I, I, I don't, I don't have anything against Lock I, I think they've made it really easy for us to be successful because, you know, they control the most of the New York restaurant market. And now as they went off to bigger and better things and, you know, from a money standpoint to their canned beverages, uh, it's allowed us to move in the back door for wholesale and take the next step. So there's always going to be an evolution. And I think 
when companies evolve, um, you do switch your customer base, right? So the people that drink Starbucks, it's a different customer base than the people that drink Starbucks back in the late 90s. I remember this. Like it was all the hipsters and uh, what's the word, yuppies that I'm looking for that went to Starbucks. Now nobody would do that, right? Now, so it's the evolution. So I think Lockholm is going to take the next evolution of that. And it's who's coming through the back door. And I think for us, um, one thing that my team and I have always made a commitment to each other is that since day one, I mean, if you compare us as a company from the standpoint of quality to what we do now, it's a whole nother animal. Every single year, everything that we do, we peel back that on over and over again. And I always say, what's our mission? How do we get better every single day? If you can look back to tomorrow and say, you didn't make a change to progress yourself, whatever it is at aficionado, leave. And that's, it's, it's always that. So we don't want dead weight. We want people that are going to make everything that we do better, whether it's sustainability, whether it's social alliance and responsibility, whether it's producing better quality coffee or better relationships. And so that's, that's our driver. More with my guest in just a minute. Whoop is a fitness and recovery tracker. It is something that you wear on your wrist. They actually look very, very cool. Uh, I've been wearing Whoop for a long time. The beauty of Whoop for me is that it actually tells me how much to recover as opposed to how much I am training. I know how hard I train. What I don't know is how well my body is recovered and that is where Whoop comes in. Whoop is going to tell me how well I've slept, how well my body has recovered from the hard strain that I put in, how many calories I've burned, all the things that a fitness tracker would typically tell you through an amazing app. They are a data-focused company. Go to whoop.com and put in promo code CHERNOW, that is C-H-E-R-N-O-W, and get your first month free. Boom. So go check out whoop.com to see what I see every single day. As you walk down that path of trying to make or making the product a better quality or have more meaning or have more substance outside of just putting coffee in people's cups, um, do you see a direct result to the top and bottom line at your company? Yeah. So there's always the ongoing struggle. You know, I don't know if you invest at all. Um, I've always been investing on the side because I love reading about companies. And one of the, I, I really love following Tesla, but I love following Peloton. And so Peloton just announced that um, they're building a higher end flagship bike and making their, I'm sorry, the flagship bike a little bit less expensive and making a higher end bike. And so what that tells you is that as companies get bandwidth and expand their volume, they're probably getting better pricing from their manufacturers. The same thing happens to us. And the same the biggest struggles when that happens within a company is that people look at that jar of money and they're like, what's coming my way because of it? And so I think I lead in my organization with this where it's like, don't put your hand in the cookie jar. Like, where can this be spent best to get us to the next level? So the whole thing for me is long term, right? This is, it's a marathon. It's not a, it's not a sprint, right? So the margins are bigger as you scale. But then again, they're not because a smart businessman and a true entrepreneur is going to keep reinvesting. And for me, my biggest mm-hmm. goal is, and I say it wholeheartedly, 10 years from now, I don't know what's going to happen with Aficionado, but I have a five to 10 year game plan where I want to continue to grow this company organically. So we need as much money to fuel the growth in an organic matter to do that. So 
are profit margins bigger? Yes, but you're not getting bigger and better without feeding the beast. Do you believe that it is wise for entrepreneurs, specifically in the founder position, to take money off the table when they have an opportunity to? Yeah, so um, it's interesting if you want to talk about COVID because it, it, it brought up a perfect situation. So I've taken side money from COVID uh, and I made some really smart moves in the past few months. And so I consider that money separate from the aficionado that I would never take out of it. And I think that if you have the ability to do that or set um, an income for yourself and reserve money out of that pool, it's okay to expand. And I think, you know, as you get older, you need to diversify. I mean, I've put my whole life on hold. I've put relationships on hold in my life, like to focus on aficionado. I really dedicated my whole life to this company. And so now I'm 38 years old and I'm like, okay, what do I have to show? I have a company, right? COVID definitely showed its way of like shaking up every business. Uh, especially ours, right? So with that, I'm starting to game plan other projects. But the cool thing about the projects that I'm that I've been dabbling in is again, subconsciously, what I'm doing with aficionado, there are members on my team that are going to help build these other projects and make them better. Peter Terso is um, he's cooked at the James Beard House numerous times. He's one of the best chefs out of New Jersey. He was one of my first clients. He came on to join us you know, after realizing he never got to spend a lot of time with his family in the, in the kitchen, right? So he wanted a job that, I would say it's a nine to five because it's not really crazy hours, but he gets weekends home with his family. And so he's still a phenomenal chef. He does all of our RTD development with me side by side. And so if we ever did this other project that I was talking about upstate New York, like he would have a, you know, intricate role in that. And so I think the most important thing about aficionado is surrounding yourself with people in your organization that you can, you can grow with that right? Everybody wants to grow together. If you're a CEO and you're not allowing your team to really exponentially grow, seek out their true potential, you're going to either lose them or they're going to give up. So side projects, definitely, I think it's a good thing as long as it falls in line with what you do. Agriculture. If you can give yourself 15 years ago, knowing what you know now, a little advice. So you're 38. So 15 years ago, you'd be 23. Uh, what would that piece of advice be? That's a loaded one. Um, I probably would have. I probably would have started traveling heavier earlier, and I probably would have put my thoughts of having a relationship off a little bit longer. So I probably, rather than dating, I probably would have hyper-focused on my career in my 20s. Got it. Only because that's what I know. That, that's, not, that's not advice for everybody. But, um, you know, I know it works for me and I know it gives me my, my peace of mind to think clear on day to day. Everybody's there. Adam, this has been an awesome conversation man like I, I like the fact that like i think coffee is such a cool thing to, t to talk about and you know so many people drink coffee but so few people know anything really about it so i i, I love the fact that we got your story an awesome journey through entrepreneurialism the fact that we were able to get a couple a little education around coffee is super cool i think that people are gonna like be able to walk out of here and say, like, I definitely know more about coffee now than ever before by listening to this hour long podcast. Um, do you believe you were born 
with an inherent or innate ability to get to where you're at today or you were made over time? Yeah, so, you know, I, we're, I was reading a while back that children start to develop in the womb, and I do believe that. I believe that, uh, you know, it's a little bit, I, you know, I was listening to your Gary skit, and I think Gary hit it on the head. It's a little bit of both. Um, for me, I think that it was uh, a lot easier to get started earlier because I had the fundamental building blocks in place in the support system. It could be done by anybody. Um, the only advice I can give to anybody that wants to pursue being an entrepreneurship is the second you tell yourself you want to be an entrepreneur, like go get a day job. You know, if you're not doing something that you're connected to, that it's not work, right? And you're okay telling your friends like, I'm fucking broke and like, I'm going to be broke for a while, like go get a day job. So that's it. Got it. So you're a little bit of both, which means you're born. Because, <laughs> I mean, if you're a little bit of both, but you were born, you were born. So you're a born. You were born. Um, for sure. Dude, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. Um, anybody out there who wants to try some new coffee, check out Aficionado. It is really, really good stuff. Uh, I have a bunch of it at home that I'm super pumped about. And, um, man, is there is there is there one piece of advice that you'd like to leave us with? I mean, I think for the entrepreneur out there, um, if anybody tells you it can't be done, you know, the best thing you do sometimes is is not be hyper fixated on what everybody else is doing, but do what's true in your heart. And sometimes you'll look up periodically and be like, holy fuck, like, how did I get here? And and that's that's the best thing I can think of. Don't get fixated on what's going out in the outside world, because any of the information you're finding, it's like investing in a stock. Like if you're reading it, it's all fucked. So do you and be true to yourself and be committed be committed to working really hard and welcome failure welcome failure i love that michael i appreciate it and uh, for anybody it's aficionado underscore coffee on our instagram follow us i'd appreciate it michael thank you so much for your time man. It's been yeah fun. and where can we where can we find you personally yeah it's just adam bossy my man thank you so so much that was my conversation with Adam Bossy of Aficionado Coffee. He really leaves us with some great tidbits about um, just being uh, a business person in today's climate. And I really loved this conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. Go check out Adam because he's doing some really, really cool things. And it's all for a good cause. And he is a special dude. So thanks for listening in today, guys. Uh, see you on the next one. Much love, much respect. That's it for this episode of Born or Made, ladies and gents. I hope our discussion inspired you to take action and chase your own success. Set goals and work towards them. I would be incredibly grateful if you shared our podcast with your friends. Be sure to subscribe so you're notified every time we drop a new episode. Help us out by leaving a positive review and a five-star rating. That would mean the absolute world to me. It really helps the podcast grow. And finally, I'd love to keep the conversation going with you. So you could follow us at Born or Made on Instagram. And you can also follow me at Michael Chernow on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and TikTok. We really appreciate you tuning in and uh, can't wait to see you on the next one.